began a letter from a woman who had shared six months of my life, then decided she would have preferred to see me dead. To understand how someone could have been so unself-aware and at the same time so self-obsessed. You said you loved me, but a narcissist can't love anyone but himself. I know most men have little clue of how to communicate, but your incapacities were tediously extraordinary. You had no respect for anything I gave a damn about. You approached everything with the same high-handed, self-righteous manner. I wasted too long with an egoist, incapable of listening to my needs. Someone who would have had trouble empathising with anything further than his own earlobe. The listener may be spared the range of accusations. In the polite language of human dynamics, it suffices to say that Divina and I were not well matched. The tenor of her charges made an impression nevertheless. They now sparked doubts when at gatherings guests politely excused themselves to fetch another drink but never returned, leaving me alone with the peanuts and a more tenuous hold on the honey jar of self-love. The earlobes stuck particularly in mind. I was browsing in a London bookshop some weeks later. It was a Saturday morning, Mozart's clarinet concerto was being piped through the speakers in a self-conscious attempt to add the elusive classical quality ascribed to music written before 1900. On passing a table above which the word biography had been stenciled in gold, I clumsily brushed against a swollen tome which slid from its pile and fell onto the burgundy carpet, coughing a trace of dust and raising the attention of an angelic-looking assistant working on a crossword at the counter opposite. Noticing a small tear I had inflicted on the book's jacket, I feigned momentary interest in the contents, hoping that the assistant would lose her interest. Officiously administrative, alas, in me. The work was an account of the life of Ludwig Wittgenstein, comprising two chronologies, a bibliography, forty pages of notes, and three sections of photographs showing the philosopher in his bathing trunks and in his nurse's arms, but apparently less concerned with illuminating the reader on the one issue about which the deceased subject would have shown an interest. But what did thought matter when the work promised to locate the linen of the author of the Tractatus, and moreover included hitherto undiscovered material concerning Ludwig's relations with his brothers? The shop assistant, having returned to her crossword, I prepared to replace the damaged book unobtrusively on its pile, when, in a context other than earlobes and my incapacity for it, my eye was caught by the word empathise, which stood out in the centre of its corrupted dust jacket. One person can rarely have taken such interest in another, judged a critic. Rarely has a biographer empathised so much with a subject. The author has examined every aspect of Wittgenstein's life, psychological, sexual and social, and in the process recreated the inner life of the century's most complicated thinker. In a phenomenon beloved of those who search for patterns amidst the chaos, one may sometimes focus on a particular word, then mysteriously hear or read of it in several different places within a short period. Either the word has always been there, and is noticeable simply because one's senses have been alerted, or, more mystically, 
Bits of language appear to be trailing like signs from above. Whatever the explanation for this literary déjà vu, the empathy of which I had been said to have had so little had now resurfaced in the context of a biographer positively overflowing with the substance, and the disparity led me to a childish burst of jealousy at the virtue of the Wittgensteinian sleuth. This in the middle of a sober literary bookshop, under the searching eyes of security cameras and angelic assistants, it served as a reminder of my role in the baneful but prevalent disregard with which most humans contemplated their fellows, ignoring their chronologies and earliest snaps, their letters and diaries, the locations of their youth and maturity, their school bench and wedding parties. Bursts of selflessness aside, stubbing a toe on the edge of a steel table.